Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. It is Friday as this episode goes live, and you know what that means. I got my man Adam Gelman on the podcast to talk about some things that you know I'm about. Talking about wrestling cards. He's got a blog, Sports Card Uncensored. He's on all the social channels. He's constantly providing content and analysis around what is happening in the wrestling card community and the wrestling card space. Thought he'd be a good guy to have on, especially since we're kind of on the other side of the WWE Prism release and we can start to see how things are shaking out. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the follow, hit the subscribe, do all the things, but most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it over to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast. I am excited today to be talking about one of my favorite topics with someone in the community who is super passionate about this topic and has a lot to say about this topic. (laughs) (laughs) So I am joined by Adam Gelman. Adam has a blog, Sports Cards Uncensored. He is uh, a content creator that's focused on written word, which I feel like is uh, a little bit (laughs) underrated. (laughs) It is a a lost art, but I appreciate the writing and I, I read everything he publishes and um, definitely follow him on uh, Instagram and Twitter. But without further ado, Adam, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me on. I, I listen to your your podcast a lot, and it's uh, you know it it crosses over for me a lot. So when we get to sort of finally have our discussion, I know we've connected on a few others over the the last you know year or so. But this is the first time we kind of get to do this one on one, so I'm excited. Totally. Maybe like before we dive into the topic and like what we're going to be talking about today is just like, I guess at the macro is just kind of like the the rise of modern wrestling cards and, and what's happened over the last, you know, three to six months or even maybe a year. But maybe before we even get going, I don't know if I've ever really had a a super collector on the show. And I you, <laughs> consider, you consider yourself a super collector, Adam. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, you know, breeds the wrestling community's sort of passion for the the whole spectrum of everything that goes on in WWE and otherwise. And yeah, I mean, I never expected to be like this cuz like I started collecting mostly in baseball and football and it was only recently like 2017 that I got into wrestling mainly because of my son who is a gigantic uh wrestling fan and sort of like got me hooked on it. And my favorite growing up was always stone cold steve austin like i i was i grew up in the end of the attitude era i mean the, during the attitude era and as the attitude era came to an end um you know i kind of like went my way and didn't come back until i had kids and um you know so being that my favorite was always stone cold steve austin the kind of the modern equivalent of that was becky lynch and that's my super collection which yeah it's it's kind of like one of those things that wrestling collectors sort of gravitate towards is this whole like i gotta have everything and i'm definitely in that bucket yeah, I would definitely consider you in that bucket based on your posts and your mail days <laughs> that you share. If you want to see a, a badass Becky Lynch collection, definitely uh, check yeah, out Adam's page. I want to touch on something there because you said like 2017 and you kind of were collecting baseball and football and you moved over to wrestling 
Now, I would imagine like in 2017, the landscape looked a lot different than it w- what it does now. Like, talk to me a little bit about like in, in entering it in 2017 and like what was going on. Yeah. And like, so you have to remember, like I was a, my focus has always been centered around either the the team or the player that's closest to me, which is Minnesota. I live in Minnesota, so I was always a huge Vikings Twins collector. In you know, as the hobby started to get more and more expensive, I started to find a lot less like connection to the actual sort of cards themselves. So I was like, you know what, it's time for a change. And I had some life things go on with new kids, everything like that. Like I have four young boys, so you can imagine how crazy and chaotic our house is. And so like getting out of that and getting into wrestling, I saw a couple of things. One, I got to connect with my family who also sort of dove in headfirst with me, which was crazy because if you think about the wrestling product, it's designed to draw you in and it literally pulled us all in. So all of the kids that were old enough to sort of stomach it all got it in spades and we went to events and we did all this other stuff. So we got to do cards too. And so we bought some packs and just got hooked on it. And it's, it's, it was like the last inexpensive, fun experience and the community was great and so welcoming. Um, so I think, you know, as I sort of got involved and started to realize like how easy it was to, to get established and get a, a nice PC going right away without much effort. Um, you know, I started to, to really sort of love it and you could go and buy cases of product for the same cost as boxes of product from the others main sports. So like I was used to paying, you know, a, an absolute ton of money for, you know, contenders and national treasures and prism and all those other things. You go to WWE and I can get a whole case for like the whole price of one of those boxes. And I was just like, this is the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. And I think I was reading one of your articles and you're talking about just um, this time last year, how maybe some people, I would say, maybe I was a little before this, but people who were in modern collecting, modern ba- basketball, football started to dip their toes a little bit in wrestling cards and i think there started to be some changes and trends going on from like small community where everyone kind of knows their name to now all of a sudden cards are getting up for auction on ebay modern cards and they're going for prices that hadn't really been seen at that time so maybe like talk a little bit about we we know we're going to get to where we are now with wrestling cards but maybe like about a year ago rewind the tape like what kind of things were happening and were like leading indicators for you that some change was on the horizon? Yeah, no, great question. And, you know, so about a year ago is when I heard that tops was losing their WWE license. And if I heard it, that means that every, there's a lot of other people who probably heard because the card community is very incestuous and very, um, they, they have a lot of people who like to talk. So you can imagine that everybody knew what was going on. And so as that happened, we started to see, a lot of change in the makeup of some of the the population, right? We had people who probably got that news, saw what happened with UFC, saw what happened with some of the other launches that Panini had had. And was like, let me go check this out. Let me just see what it's all about. And they came and like me in 2017, we're like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like there's nothing is expensive. I can get investment level pieces for literally nothing. Oh, that guy who's the biggest movie star in the world. Yeah, he only costs like 20 bucks a card. So you can imagine that they saw exactly what I saw and were like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And they got in, they dove in head first. So you can imagine that a cards, a card that was had equivalents on the other hobby side, right? You had tops, Chrome, you had uh tops finest, you had legacy brands on the tops and side that had been there 
you know, for in, in earnest since 2014 and 2015 that weren't getting any love and they could easily come in and change the market with very little money. I've said on a couple of these podcasts that like wrestling is one of those industries that you can change with a, you know, like a very little amount of money. A year ago, it was even less. I mean, you could spend $10,000 and change the entire face of wrestling. So that's what happened. And it created sort of this vacuum of like, well, there's not a lot of supply because you can imagine tops didn't produce a lot of the stuff. There wasn't, it was a niche area of the hobby. So even with a minor amount of new people coming in, it suffocated a lot of the supply that was out there and prices just shot up almost overnight. So it was really cool to see for me personally, because I had invested so much time and energy being a part of the community and finally getting to see that it was starting to move in the right direction and starting to be kind of a focus for some of these investors coming in. Like that's what I wanted to see because it validates a lot of the work that I had put into my collection. Right. So yeah, it's like a year ago was like the golden hour for, you know, anything shiny, anything that was very easily married to a product on the other side, whether it's basketball, football, whatever. But also it was during a time where the hobby was exploding. So like you had people throwing bets down on the table and no matter what number it landed on, they were coming up winners. So you could literally have people with just tons of money to throw at it. And when nothing costs very much, you can make a huge impact right away. So that was like a year ago, just crazy time. And, you know, it, it's sort of like still continuing a lot of this way because those people are still saying that it's incredibly undervalued even to this day. No doubt about it. I want to like, like if we talk about like the wrestling card community, I think as, as I'm evaluating it or when I jumped into it, there was back to like what you just described. There was like the shiny stuff that I gravitated towards because I, you know, would collect football cards and gold refractors and Chrome and finest. And just the, Me too. the parallel, yeah, it, the parallel, it just made sense to me. Um, but the, like, it seemed like the majority of individuals were uh, more like, you know, the, uh, I don't, I guess we can call them vintage, like vintage wrestling cards would be people sharing kind of the, the, the same stuff, people collecting, um, you know, whether it's all stars, whether it's 85 tops. And it was just a lot of people talking about that. So for me, I, I, I ventured in that category, realized it wasn't really for me and uh, pulled myself out and kind of moved over and spent a majority of my time with, with the shiny stuff. And that's where I kind of fell in love because it, yeah. it, paral- it paralleled a lot of what I collect on the other side. So like, maybe like talk about that, like those two groups of individuals yeah. within the wrestling card community. Cause I think there's a, there are similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. Yeah. And, and it's a really interesting dichotomy because you have to remember that the boom impacted wrestling in two very different ways. The boom went to wrestling vintage well before it went anywhere else in wrestling. And, you know, I, I don't associate with a lot of those people. I think that they have some agendas that I don't necessarily agree with, but the, the majority of those individuals are separate from a lot of the community that I was a part of because they've tended to sort of run in different circles of people. And um, they it's a small group that sort of impacted a lot of the original values that sort of exploded outward, especially as people like Deshaun Watson and some of the investor group that bought into Collector's Universe started buying up some of the major like rock graded um, Bumblebee tuna rookie cards, right? And those went for like 50 and $60,000 overnight. People were like, oh my gosh, the rock is something worth investing in. And it translated so differently into the modern side than it did ever with the sort of groundswell that got behind all the 
vintage modern wrestling collecting for many years we're talking five ten years has all been centered around females, right it's i'm not going to really get into sort of the the ins and outs of that but a lot of the value in wrestling was built around people like alexa bliss people like um sasha banks and and you know the the real stars of the women's revolution which started around 2015 those are the people that had the most value, but as new people came in, it switched all the way the other way to all being around legends like The Rock and Hulk Hogan, even in the modern sense, which were favorites of people, investors growing up. So the nostalgia factor sort of really came in. And I 100% identify with that part of the industry where I grew up with Topps Chrome. I grew up with Topps Finest. They were always my favorite sets. So when those were released for the first time since 2015 and 2020, um, with 2020 Chrome and 2020 Finest, like I went bananas. Like I bought an absolute ton of it. And I, when I mean like an absolute ton of it, like I still have case boxes, like in my office, you can't see them off camera, but they're there full of cards that I was buying from those sets because I just loved it. It wasn't because I wanted to make money. It was because just cause I loved those sets. And so there's this, this growing sort of dissension between the modern collectors and the vintage collectors who you know, really want very different things for their collections. One wants to have high grade cards of vintage examples like the 82 All-Stars, the 85, all the way up through like 91 Classic with The Undertaker. Like those people are approaching wrestling completely and utterly different because they focus mostly on junk wax cards that are high grade examples that just aren't very common because so many people never really kept them in really good condition. The modern collectors almost abhor grading in every way they perform. Like it wasn't until Prism and Chrome and everything really took off that we saw a massive migration towards a graded card example that just didn't exist in modern cards for wrestling. And that was something that I believe in too. I'm not a grading fan myself. Like you can look at my page on Instagram, you'll see that there's very few graded cards in there. And when I do grade graded cards, I usually crack them out because I like having cards in my in my shelf. So I'll look the same because I'm an anal collector like everybody else. But, you know, it's it's really interesting. Like you would expect that it's all one sort of big community, but it's not. There's a very clear wall of separation between the vintage collectors and the modern collectors. And even more so now with the Penny Prism release that just happened. Yeah, I want to touch on maybe like the, the Bumblebee rock car that you referenced, because I think like one thing that so I think about let's take the rock. For example, I think about the bumblebee card. I think about the panini stickers. I think about the trivia card. My antenna went up a little bit on these cards as I investigated, because they just seem like there was a lot of people propping these cards up. But then as you dig into it, it's like, why are the values the way they are? Because there's no true scarcity in some of these cards or it's the first time they're being introduced. So um, I think like, I look at those cards and not saying like, and I've been on the record of saying those cards aren't necessarily for me just because I have a lot of question marks regarding that. But me too. when you yeah. look at me too, yeah. when you, when you look at values of stuff like that in comparison to like, you know, serial numbered short printed cards, I think like, do you think like those things are evening, evening itself out? Or do you think there's still like some room uh, to that we have to work through? Cause the thing I'm concerned about is like new wrestling fan comes in, they spend, you know, whatever 5k on a card just because someone else is saying like this is how much it's worth when in all actuality like maybe the more copies that go to grading the high the lower that goes that sort of thing you know and and that's where i think that there's a huge challenge with the with both sides of it right now because the wrestling all-star cards are not 
like they're just not there. There's a lot of them. And the classic cards, the, the, the classic tops cards, the classic sort of vintage wrestling cards that everybody has sort of gravitated towards. And you see every week or every month on the PSA sort of registry being the highest graded wrestling cards that exist. Like those cards aren't rare. Like they're from very high printed sets, but be, the, the scarcity exists in the grades. And that's just not what I'm about. Like, I don't support that in any way. Like I'm all about buy the card, not the grade. And like, when you see that all of the value for a lot of those cards exists in the high grades, like that's just not my thing with modern wrestling cards. There's very much actual scarcity. And then there's contrived scarcity built into it as well. So if you look at like 2014 tops, Chrome wrestling, which is the darling of every new sort of wrestling collector that's come in, in the prison boom is there was only probably 250 cases of it made. Like the, it was the lowest printed top set in the history of tops, Chrome. There's just none of it out there. There's a lot of retail, but the good stuff like was all in the hobby and there's very little of it, which is why those boxes now cost 14 to $1,500 a piece. Same thing with 2015. Like it was a really small run comparatively to another product, even like the F1 stuff that has blown up in the last couple of years. Like there's just general scarcity around all of that numbered or not. Now there's also contrived scarcity built into it where you're thinking about like the serial numbered refractors and stuff like that, which we all love and collect and build rainbows around. Like there's scarcity in those cards as well, even though it's manufactured, it's still scarcity. Right. So I think that there's differences in the way that a lot of the community interacts with some of those cards, especially people who are looking to build new collections and realizing they're like me, who none of my Becky Lynch cards will ever be on the market, <laughs> at least as long as I can foresee so you have people like me who are literally hoarding on and, and holding on to these top level cards that in any other industry are probably being sold on a more regular basis because wrestling collectors are in it to really the previous crowd of wrestling collectors were all it to just be the top person of whoever it is that they collect, whether that's Alexa Bliss, Becky Lynch, like me, or anybody else that you can think of down to like the lowest tier wrestlers have super collectors, right? You're seeing that in order for the market to grow, usually you have to see high graded examples of like the super factors, the major cards hit the market. And they just don't because people have built entire collections around having the entire rainbows of in runs of these exact cards. Some of which people have collected all the copies of each parallel. So you like, you look at a red refractor, there's no more red refractors because one guy has all five. Like it's crazy. It's yes, it is. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to get into the prism stuff with you. I appreciate you laying, yeah. laying that out there before we get into the prism stuff, like at, on, from a market perspective, I want to talk about it from like your personal collecting. I've, you've done mm -hmm. some damage on your Becky yeah. rain, <laughs> rainbow. Yeah. So, so like what I want to know is like in the, in the mind of Adam Gelman, someone who's like fiercely trying to collect a rainbow and a product like prism, like, like you've got to like, are you thinking about it all the time? Are you nervous? Something pops up that you don't get, have a chance Absolutely. at that you miss Like share that perspective of what, what you go through on a daily basis as someone who collects. You lose sleep. You collect. Yeah. You lose sleep over it. And I'm not joking. You actually do lose sleep over it because I found myself at times in the past waking up at all hours of the night, just to see if something has been posted. Like when a new set came out, especially the shiny sets that I loved and gravitated towards as a kid, like those were my main things. Transcendent was another one that I literally went bananas over, right? So we're talking about like the most important sets that most of these people are all gravitating towards now. I've been chasing since day one. And the reason I've chased those is not because I saw the investment potential, but just because I loved them. Like they were my favorite sets, especially the Transcendent stuff, especially the Chrome stuff. 
So yeah, you lose sleep over it. You, you, you literally are worried that you're going to miss it. And when you have competition, like I have around my super collection and most people do like, you have to be the first there. And that means either overspending to get what you want, paying more than you're comfortable with in some cases. And now looking back on it, those prices were Mickey Mouse prices anyway. So now it's all great. I make made a ton of money, but that's not what it's about for me. It's about the completeness of the collection. So when you think about like, what, what is that like on a daily basis? It's literally, I don't know if you've seen the movie Donnie Darko, where the woman goes oh, out yeah. to her mailbox and grandma death checks her mailbox. Multiple, <laughs> that's me. Yeah, that's me. Dottie Darko, hell of a soundtrack. I'm good right Echo and the Bunny Man, my favorite version of that song. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's like, how do you stay ahead of the competition? Because there's a lot of people out there who spend their lives in front of a computer, myself included, because I work in tech. But like I'm literally have it up every minute of every day, just constantly refreshing stuff just to make sure that you don't miss something. And going into a prism collection where now you have probably 5x the level of competition you did before on any previous top sets. Like it, it just, it balloons and, and explodes in a way that you don't really aren't prepared for. So like, luckily I've sort of put myself at the forefront of a lot of this conversation, sometimes on purpose so that I can be the first person to get those notifications. Like, Hey, this just got popped up. Go, 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 go. But you know, Facebook has become like a, a crutch in a lot of ways for, for many wrestling collectors because the community drives those breaks they drive a lot of things that the greater hobby wasn't driving until recently so you had you know facebook groups and other community level individuals grassroots things that were driving the wrestling community in the modern sense in ways that the outside hobby the mainstream hobby never got a view into i was i didn't find it until it was until i was already well into it and it just it, it changed my entire perspective on the way wrestling collecting was all sort of both delivered to the masses and so, yeah, as a play, as a super collector, like I had to be in every room, I had to be in every break, I had to be in every aspect of wrestling cards to make sure that I didn't miss something. And it's something that drives you insane, but that's the fun. That's the chase. And it's the thing that like looking back and seeing the collection that I built, like that's all cool. But the fun part was all acquiring those cards and some of the crazy things I've had to go through just to, just to do that. <laughs> do you have any stories from your prison oh chase God. that stand out. <laughs> give me, give me a story of a card you picked up and how you got it. Uh, the prison chase, or you just want a story of a card? Let, let, like, let's <laughs> just go any di- any direction. Let's let's hear yeah. some craziness. So the craziest one was um, fully loaded uh, tops released in, for the first time in 2020. And I am friends with uh, Kimber Laskick, who is the person who takes amazing wrestling photography. Amazing Finally photographer. Get- yeah, finally got to meet her this year and she's amazing. But the the thing with with her is that um, she has a direct connection to Becky. So she her, she painted, hand-painted, all of the leather jackets that Becky wore on TV. And so as part of this whole thing, Tops was in the market to try and get some gear to embed in those fully loaded cards. And one of those things that I was able to, to work with Kim to get is a a ring worn Becky Lynch leather jacket, which is insane. doesn't exist on the market. Like you can't find them. They're impossible to get. And tops cut one of those up and put them into these fully loaded cards. So naturally I had to have literally every single one that I could find. Well, the one of one was pulled in France. And if you've dealt with international sales before, you know, it is an absolutely crazy experience, especially during the pandemic when things weren't moving the way that they normally would. 
So I literally had to get one of my French Canadian friends to go and translate into French. So I could work out a deal with this guy over the one-on-one for the, the Becky Lynch card that I needed to complete my rainbow. So now I have the entire rainbow of that set, something that I helped contribute to. And I had to have that. And I had to, I had to literally have somebody translate into French to get one of the cards. That's probably my craziest story. For the love of the hobby, it holds no bounds. I yeah. love it. Let's talk about Prism. So, yeah. you know, we all kind of speculated in our own ways that Prism was going to, like it does in any sport, it brings a lot of new people in who haven't been in here. People get interested. Price goes up. I, dude, I, I'll tell you what, like, I don't know how you felt, but when Prism dropped and I looked at this, the secondary prices on the market, like right out of the gate, dude, I fell into, like, I, I wanted to be a part of it. I was buying cards probably for way too high. Um, and then I kind of took a step back, was like, hold on, let me just wa- watch to see how all this plays out. Um, I think it's been good. Like, I think Prism's been great for the wrestling card awareness community. A lot of good things mm-hmm. to say about it, but there's probably some not so great things too that have transpired. What's your like general like synopsis on the Prism release and the impact it's had so far? I mean, the impact is undeniable. I mean, like regardless of your if you're all for it or all against it, like there have been things that have happened in Prism that haven't happened in wrestling cards before. End of story. Like, there's no debating that. That's a fact. Like, there's been five figure sales on the regular. There's been modern records set. Um, through some of the sales of the big cards already like this is a landmark set with a landmark checklist of people that haven't had autographs and wwe products in years or ever like the checklist is insane and the value in the product regardless of how the actual wax is performing is unlike anything i've ever seen before that is not a deniable fact that is legitimate truth now does that mean that every card in Prism is performing the way that we expect it to? No. Like, but that's the way it is with all the major sports and the way Prism usually functions. Very top heavy. So, you know, when I looked at Prism, I this Prism is the first product in WWE that I've busted absolutely zero packs. Like I have I've not ripped a single pack of Prism, except for I actually I did I ripped one with Cherry Collectibles that they had a break the day of release and it was like 40 bucks a pack. And I was like, sure, I'll do one. And I ended up hitting a gold autograph, but that's a whole different story altogether. So like, I haven't ripped any of the boxes for by design, right? It's expensive stuff. Prism is just generally expensive. And the speculation around the boxes made it even more expensive and even more expensive. And by the time release it, it was like $1,300 a box. Now, if you looked at UFC, UFC never started like that. It kind of like crept up over time. Whereas this was like, everybody's like, this is going to be exactly like UFC. And they got into it really fast, really quickly diving in. And then everybody realized they had to pay off their credit cards and started auctioning everything off and the market couldn't support it. Because overall, the the WWE market, regardless of its size, is still very immature. And so you have a lot of people who are going into this expecting to make money hand over fist. And the FOMO took over, as it always does. Mm. By the way, inflation are, was creeping up to its highest in years. Um, there's a huge you know, international conflict that's driving up prices of gasoline and other basic necessities. People who have babies can't buy formula. Like, There's all of these environmental factors uh, that are all affecting the hobby. And then, oh, crypto crashes like 30% as well, which is a major factor in some of these big collections and big collector sort of inventories you know so there's a lot of environmental factors that are all impacting the hobby at once and then it happened at the same time prism is released so you've got a lot of things going on that are not faring very well for the overall hobby 
for the first time in a long time, the quarterly numbers on card ladder are in the red, right? And although there's reasons for that being what it is and probably will bounce back at some point, like it's probably not a guaranteed winner like it used to be. Like that's what I've been saying is like no one should expect that they can place a bet without consideration and have it be a winner. Like it can't, it's not happening anymore. And investors are going to actually have to work for their money. And so what ended up happening is you had a lot of people who were dumping, 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 dumping into a huge pool of available cards. And there's just not enough people to support it on the bulk end of things. So when you look at like the unnumbered stuff, the the overall sort of construction of the set, a lot of it just couldn't be supported because there's a lot of it. First of all, this was printed. There's more Prism WWE than there is of Prism UFC. There's a lot more to go around and there's not as many people buying it. So yeah, prices are going to dip. But what we've seen on the top end of things is that it's hitting those marks and more expectation-wise for a lot of those top-heavy hits, which we know to be like The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, like the top-tier guys are selling the way we expected and higher. I mean, I've seen two Rock Golds sell for you know $25,000 a piece and no one expected it to be like that. Um, we haven't even seen the biggest cards be hit yet. And those are ones that we could see the first six figure wrestling card. Like that's crazy to me. So we'll see how this all plays out. I appreciate the description. I think that's a, a fair analysis of what's happened. I think one of the things I'd like to maybe dig into a little bit as a person who loves shiny wrestling cards, who wanted to jump in and buy, buy, buy right away. Like my I kind of had some trepidation because as I was analyzing the people that I collect and looking at their gold prisms out of the gates, I'd see some, some like gold prisms of like, uh, let's say, uh, riddle who I'm a collector of, right? But, exactly. his, awesome, but, but, but it was just, I was like, I'm, I'm not ready to pay, not ready to pay this price. And nor I thought it'd be about half of that. And I think that was across <laughs> the board from my analysis. Yeah. It was like, First couple of weeks, half it. So I like stayed back a little bit and I've seen like maybe not some of the tier one guys, but like I've seen some pullback in some of these like mid tier guys. Oh, yeah. So I think like what what have you seen? Like is 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 anything like I think about that uh, Mick Foley card that like got chopped like in fifths by the time the gold prism came out. Uh, like what, what have you seen just in terms of not necessarily the high end, but just the in between? Yeah. And I, I mean, like, that's kind of where my person falls is kind of in that in between. And I've seen that happen firsthand, right? Because I bought in early and because I wanted to get my super collection, not because I wanted to make money. And um, so that was a little bit of a different approach. But yeah, that Mick Foley, Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, like those guys had giant sales week one that were now a friend. But let's be honest here. Like, why were those sales giant to begin with? Like Mick Foley hasn't had a following in WWE cards for ages. Rey Mysterio is fun, but I mean, he's not like a $6,000 card fun. You know, like those are the types of things where people were like, oh, it's Prism. It's going to, it's going to go to the moon. It's, it's already going to go to the moon, even though there's no substantiation to the, the prices being as high as they were, but there is substantiation for prices being higher than they were in tops. So I, as a, as a weirdo who bought at $6,000, I'm like, well, maybe I'll just go and expect that that's going to happen. Well. I don't know if that was the best strategy to begin with. And in my articles leading up to it, I was like, you got to have an exit strategy and buying in early and expecting to make a ton of money just because things you expect things to perform, I don't think is fair. And Mick Foley is a perfect example of that because somebody bought his gold prism really high 
and then realize that it's there probably wasn't a supportive enough market for a guy that you know really hasn't been at the forefront of WWE despite being a legend and despite being a, a major impactful guy at the Attitude Era who's responsible for one of the greatest moments in WWE history. Like he's just not at the forefront of what dub, the WWE product. Like he's not like the guy that's out front and center like Austin is. He's not a guy that is gone on to humongous things like the rock into a lesser degree Cena and Batista. Like those are guys that have transcended wrestling and fully just isn't one of those guys, even in the own world of WWE. So Mysterio, same thing. Like, I mean, there are some modern people like, like Becky or Sasha Banks or Alexa bliss who started high and have come down a little bit, but they never started to at a point where it was like unreasonable for what their position is in the overall tiering system of WWE cards the real egregious sort of situations where people who bought well above where their station is. And like, there's just no evidence to suggest that, you know, uh, a guy like, or, or, or a new person like Braun Breaker, um, who is the easiest, the, the top, easiest, the top rookie in the set. Like there's no indication that he is going to be worthwhile long-term enough to justify the prices at 15, $20,000 for a black, right. Even though that's where it's sold. So it was like, you know, those are things that were happening during prism that I was just like, guys, like we got to calm down. Like there's burning too hot, right? That's what happened. It burned way too hot. And people started to realize that, that probably wasn't a good investment strategy overall very, very quickly. One that stood out to me was uh, that just sold. Actually, I was watching it and I saw you tweet about it. And I think this would be interesting to talk about was the, um, the Brock Lesnar black one on one. Yeah, and I, what did it was it forty five hundred? Is that what it? It was uh, fifty six, I think. Fifty six. Okay, so fifty six. We're talking. If this is a year ago, and if a wrestling card sells for fifty six hundred dollars, we're throwing <laughs> everybody a- would be like, "Oh my god, what just happened?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're throwing a parade. Now I think about if that card went up for auction the first week after Prism was released, like what Even would it higher, do? Yeah. Would it be? Yeah, would it would do, do over ten thousand. Yeah. So to me, like I almost like. I like Brock Lesnar, but I'm not spending 5K, 5,600 on that. But there are plenty of Brock Lesnar collectors, I think. Huge, yeah. So I don't know. To me, it was like a seeing that card um, sell. And although it's a high price in comparison to some of the other stuff, I thought there was a lot of value in that buy. So like what what kind of like a lesson do you think like that that teaches like wrestling sure. collectors when new, new, prod- new cards and new product are released? It's really interesting because, first of all, that isn't Brock Lesnar's first Prism card. He's the only one in the set that doesn't have that debut tag attached to him. You know how people are about the firsts, right? The hobby mm-hmm. is all about firsts. And Brock Lesnar is one of the only people in the sets who had other Prism cards, other select cards. He had a National Treasures card this year, which was awesome. But like the 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 whole situation with Lesnar is a really interesting lesson because he still sold for $5,600 four weeks after everything crashed. Like that that is huge. Like that's a really big indication that there's still a lot of room in this market, but there's room for very specific things. Cause Brock Lesnar is a transcendent superstar, right? He's been in UFC. He's a UFC champion. He is well-known in a household name across the, the, the nation because of his role in the attitude era. And right after he's wrestled the rock, he's been around for the massive moments in WWE. He ended the Undertaker's streak. Like he has a resume that should put him on Mount Rushmore. But he's not because there's already guys there like The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock who have similarly transcended wrestling to a degree while they were still in the business. And it's it's a really interesting sort of 
example to use for the overall state of the market that somebody like Brock Lesnar, who has had prison cards before, but still was able to achieve a $5,600 on his black is huge. Like to me, that's a big indicator of success. Now, you also look at somebody like Andre the Giant, which is up for auction as we're recording this, but maybe after it gets released, it's done by then. It's already at like 6500 bucks. Like I expect that one probably to go close to or above $10,000 because like all those other guys I just mentioned, Andre the Giant is a transcendent superstar. But if you're looking to buy into like Montez Ford, who is one of the up and coming you know, guys in the, in the industry or... Um, you know, I, I saw Tiffany Stratton sold for like 3,500, Yeah. Like she's, a, she's been on TV less than two months and she's, that's what her card is going for. Like there are differences in the way that those markets should perform. And some of the ways it's contributed by wrestling fans being thirsty and others, it's contributed by wrestling fans, just loving the characters and growing up with them and realizing that spending $10,000 on Andre the giant when I'm spending fifty and sixty thousand dollars on Justin Herbert, LeBron James, other investment level people in other sports, it's like it's easy to justify that. And I think that's the way people have sort of approached this is like, well, I can go buy the lowest level investment piece for Justin Herbert and spend a hundred grand, or I can spend a hundred grand and get the best rock card that ever was made. And that just, of course, why wouldn't you? Like that's the coolest thing ever. And it's like, you see Lewis Hamilton's Superfractor sell for 900K. And you're like, is Lewis Hamilton more famous than The Rock? Like, maybe internationally he's on that level. But The Rock is, you know, less than a ninth of that price. Is that really justifiable comparison? Like, that's where I see a lot of real sort of movement within the market still yet to come, if it comes. Because again, we have all these environmental factors that are all contributing to it. And there's just a lot going on. It's so cool to watch. And that's why it's been so fascinating for me. And what really brought me back to tweeting regularly and writing regularly. Because I, I stopped for a long time because work was busy. My family was busy. But this was fascinating enough to me that I've wanted to come back and be a part of it again, which is the first time in like probably two or three years. For me. So cool. I love it. I want to make sure you mentioned it a couple of times in that to talk a little bit about before we let you go, talk a little bit of, about talked about prism just like super fractors in general i think to mm -hmm. me to me they're the coolest like I'd, i'll say this when I, my move when i saw the crazy run-up of prism my move was to go buy the transcendent riddle super fractor because mm -hmm. i couldn't i could like I, I see what the gold's going for and it just to me it was like a signal for time and so i got that card and it's awesome and i have other supers in chrome and finest and to me, those are my favorite cards. You wrote an article on like super fractors in general. Like mm -hmm. you've got some great super fractors in your collection. Um, talk mm -hmm. a little bit about just like super fractors and uh, how they like how they've performed while Prism has come out. Just anything you want to shed a light on just with the super fractor market. You, you, this is my favorite subject. I, this, like, I love, like I said earlier, since we've been talking, like Chrome is my jam and like, not only is Chrome my jam, but like, it's the thing that I pay the most attention to. And so I own four of the Becky Lynch superfractors. I own her transcendent autograph. I own the tops Chrome superfractor and the finest and all those other things. Like I bought those at rock bottom prices because to me, those were the most important cards in the market. And I know that they're the most important cards on the market because right now there are multiple companies that make superfractors. When in the history of the hobby, 
has something been that blatantly copied across so many different platforms? Leaf makes them, Panini makes them, Upper Deck makes them. And then, of course, there's the top one. They are the most important card in the hub. And saying that, knowing that Prism sells for more money, the NT Shields and Logo Men all sell for more money, the importance of the Superfractor can't be overstated. Because if you go back to 2012, even when I was really at the height of my involvement in the hobby, I remember for the first time, Andrew Luck sold a Superfractor at like $15,000 for Topps Platinum and people like lost, lost their mind. And it was because even back then, the Superfractor was the pinnacle of everything we started to collect. And so seeing what is now going on with the Prism Blacks, which is kind of a poor man super fractor, even though it's worth more money, like the, from a looks perspective, you can't beat what a super fractor looks like in person. It, you just can't. It's amazing, regardless of who makes it. And that's why I'm gra- I've gravitated towards them so heartily is because they look so cool to have on your wall or on your shelf. And I rarely spend a lot of money on cards unless it's going to be something that I can display. And you can see them behind me if you're not watching this on video. But like otherwise, like it's such an important aspect to what is going on. Now, recently, <laughs> this is what's so funny is recently you could get any number of superfractors from 2014, 2015, Heritage Chrome back in 06 and 07. Like there's been a lot of wrestling superfractors. None of them have been valuable until recently. And it's because people have started to recognize the importance of those cards after the fact. So now you can't buy a super factor in wrestling for less than like two or 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. Even the lowest of the lowest tier guys have all gone up insanely amount, uh, insane amounts in value because people who have come to the hobby from other sports have started to recognize, like, I want the things that sort of got my attention in football and basketball and baseball. And those are super factors. So you can see, like, I know you have a number of them too, because you are part of that same crowd that I'm a part of, which is, we love those cards. And for the most part, like they've gone up just because of that, but also because of all of the, the sort of investor love around shiny stuff has, has gone up as well. So if you, if you really want to go look at like the best of the best wrestling cards that ever existed, like go look at the transcendent super factors from this year. Like there's some of the best wrestling collect cards ever created. And there's nothing Panini is going to be able to do to change that. They just, they're awesome cards. I felt left out, man. I saw yeah. everyone with them and I was like, <laughs> I have like, I seen Jameson with this freaking six oh, wow, pack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Drake. Yeah. I was like the freaking riddle was staring at me in the face for so long. And I just couldn't like justify the spend until I saw the prism madness going. And I was like, okay, now is the time. But I agree. Like, yes, we own the cards and I, I this is more passion than it is pumping. Like I'm not oh, yeah. selling this shit. So yeah, but, but like you think, what is there? Forty three of these cards. Uh, there were fifty three. Fifty three. Okay, so there's fifty three of these cards in the highest end set that Tops ever did. It's the only time they've ever done it. So like, there's just like significance. Like when I have the card, it just feels like I have something special, and it's hard right. to even describe until you you get one in your hands. You know. And I don't even have mine in hand yet. Mine was a redemption, so that's what's so frustrating to me. But yes, I've seen them in in person, and they're absolutely incredible. There's only 53 of them, and top, because Tops lost that license the year that they were produced, all of a sudden these become a one-of-a-kind collectible that, despite Fanatics getting it back in 2027 or whenever that's going to be, like 
they may never build this set again. Like it, the hobby could change any which way from Sunday and we would never see these again. This is the one time where we're getting transcendent Chrome superfractors autographed one of one. It's like, it was a perfect storm. So I had to have the one for my collection. I literally have a tracker where I track every single one that had been pulled. I'm doing that for the prison blocks too, but like it's a readily accessible Google doc because I didn't want to miss mine. And I wanted to see the ones that were pulled and which weren't pulled and how they were going through and how many cases were open. Cause there's only 50 boxes of this available. And not only was it limited, it was part of a product that cost five figures to open a box of most of the case breaks. You had to hit a random, you couldn't buy a wrestler. So you had like, there were so many different factors to getting the one that you wanted and to be able to own the one for my super collection is awesome. If Tops would actually ship it to me, but like, yeah, that, that was a, a collection like focus for me. And that's, and it's my favorite card from that set, even though I also own the, the quad one of one big horsewomen card. And, and so like, people are like, well, why isn't that card your favorite? And I was like, cause it's not a super factor. I love the super. Factor. So, uh, so what, what, what cards are still sitting out there? Uh, what oh, like wow. significant in either transcendent super one of ones or prison black? Like what, what should anyone out there be uh, watching for that hasn't hit yet? Well, transcendent is different. Cause I think almost all of the boxes have been opened. The party's already been had all that stuff's already gone. So like, I don't think that there's, there's ones that like Jameson has that could be put up for sale that are probably the biggest ones in the product, but the chances that he sells those recently in, in the coming future, probably not very high, but for like, just look for just in general, there is still no auction that I've seen for the 2014 rock super Fractor. There's mm -hmm. still no auction that I've seen or, or sale that I've seen on the 2015 rock super Fractor. considering how little of the product is still left out there. I'm shocked that it had, it could be in somebody, some kid's box, right? It could be, you know, who knows? It was a retail. There were super fractors in retail. It was the only parallel in those. So who knows where that card is? I've never seen it good luck finding it. It's probably a hundred thousand dollar card. If you find it, then there is like that. We, we know that the 2020 super fractors have all been pulled. Um, but the, for prism, we still haven't seen Roman Reigns. We still haven't seen a Roman Reigns gold really sell at a reasonable price. Jameson got one pretty cheap. Um, that was sold in like 30 seconds, but we haven't seen one really sell. The rocks golds are, have been selling just at gigantic prices. The blacks are Roman and rocks still haven't been surfaced. Uh, the Hogan black still hasn't surfaced. Haven't seen a Hogan base gold sell. Like there's still a ton of stuff out there in prison that hasn't been sold. And I've been watching it like a hawk. So to see that these cards are still out there is not only really good for the people that are holding the wax, but like when those cards eventually hit, because I know that the Austin's been hit, but won't be sold. And I know that the, um, the Braun breaker has been hit already sold at like $22,000 or whatever it was. So like you have all of these major cards that have yet to surface that are still yet to be sold. And oh, by the way, they might not be sold on a public platform like we've seen with some of the major hits already. I know I've seen um, a couple of them posted on Instagram by big influencers, others I've seen personally, but I'm not allowed to share. So like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with Prism that the general public probably won't have a visibility into that I've seen because I put myself kind of at the front of the line here. And if people really saw that action, I think probably the drop in wax would spur a lot of buys, but more importantly, the drop in prices wouldn't be as concerning for a lot of those people because they realize that 
you know, not everybody's going to be LeBron James. There's a guy who sits seventh on the bench on the, on the Lakers that is also in prison and probably not selling well. Like it happens in every sport because prison national treasure is immaculate. All those products are meant to be sold at those prices because of the tent poles that support those products. Like the NT rookie patch autographs and the immaculate logos and all those other things. Like when those cards sell for five and six figures, the product goes up because it's basically high stakes gambling at that point. Prism, especially now, is the product prices isn't supportive of the fact that there are still six figure cards potentially in that product if they're graded and sold appropriately at the right the right method. So really crazy to think that we haven't even seen the the, the biggest of the big sales yet. It's it's we're already in this like a month and a half. So. It's a fun and interesting time to be a modern wrestling card collector. That's for damn sure. sure before is. I let you, before I let you get out of here, a lot of changes, <laughs> lots happening. What's some, what, what kind of advice do you have for new collectors that are dipping their toe? They are passionate wrestling fans. They're watching raw the night. They collect figures, memorabilia, and now are dipping their toe into the card market. Like what, what kind of advice do you have for them? Wrestling collectors are a weird bunch. And they're a weird <laughs> bunch. Most of them have lived in a bubble, right? So think about like most football collectors also collect baseball, also collect basketball. They have a, a diversity in their collection. Wrestling collectors tend to live in a bubble. And more importantly than that, you're likely never going to change their mind on anything. So what they believe now, it will take mountains to make them believe something different. And I've found that out firsthand. So as a new collector coming into this, you should expect that you're dealing with people that may not have the experience with the major four sports that would lend them to understand general hobby concepts that those people would also expect to be true. Right. So like using things like hard ladder, using hobby tools that are now commonplace for most collectors probably don't have the same resonance that it does with those collectors as it does with the wrestling collectors. And I I, I say that they live in a bubble because that's really what it is. They've sort of been isolated because the boom hasn't come to wrestling until recently. So a lot of crazy things have happened, but yeah, you're not going to find a lot of, you know, like-minded people who have also collected the four sports, but also, I mean, like wrestling is about the people more than anything. It's not a, it's not as much about the money, which is what drew to me, me to that community. Originally, a lot of these collectors have been in it just to collect. And I'm one of those people like I love having a huge Becky Lynch collection that I can show off to people. And like that drives a lot of the passion within the wrestling community. So you're, you're going to see people with gigantic cards that they have no money into and still won't sell for gigantic prices because to them, it was never about making money. So that's for a new collector trying to acquire pieces for your collection. It's going to be problematic in that fashion, but you'll also see that the community has passion that's different than a lot of the other major four sports as a result of those situations. And it's still very much easy to get some collection pieces from current products that you know will be worth your attention long-term, right? But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to believe that wrestling is now sort of getting its time in the sun because it's taken so long for the boom to permeate these walls. But yeah, for new collectors, like have an exit strategy too, like please, like that's the other thing is like most people will dive in head first because it's so cheap and they'll spend so much money and then they'll realize that it's not as valued. Like the, the lower tier pieces are very much lower tier. They're not going to register the same way that a lower tier piece in 
NFL and NBA and MLB will register. So there's a lot of expectations that need to be adjusted to understand that when you hit it big in wrestling, you can do so for very little money, but you can also spend a lot of money on very little stuff and get very little out of it. So just kind of have an exit strategy. <laughs> it's always a good thing to have. Final, final question here. You're in <laughs> Dallas for WrestleMania. I sat at home, was jealous and was like, I need to be there next year. The thing, when I think about WrestleMania this year, it's the dust has settled a little bit. Yeah, like the Cody debut, re-debut was significant. <laughs> but I don't, looking back on that uh, weekend, I'm not, Austin, obviously, Owens was great. I'm not sure anything will stand out to me more than the Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch match. To me, yeah, it, it, was was, it was a modern classic. What, how, would you, how would you rank that match in Becky's pantheon of matches? Where does that one fall for you? Well, she lost. So, like that. No, um, I mean, you look at it and you see the impact that it had on just women's wrestling, and you see like the the reviews that it got. It's just it's humongous. But you know, wrestling has become less about the wins and losses these days, and more about the moments. And there were sure a lot of moments in that match that will stand forever. I still like, and I judge like the quality of things by how many times I pull a peacock and go watch the the stuff happen. Like there are times where I'm just going to be depressed and down on and just generally from life and just want to go and hear some big pops and I'll go and watch certain things. And like, I love evolution. I, the, what they did, her and Charlotte did on that match was just incredible. I loved um, the 2019 um, match with Oscar and the 2020 rematch at the Royal Rumble with Oscar. Both of those were incredible, but I mean, like with her, it's all about the moments and she has more moments, I think than any other women's wrestlers that exists out there. And like, if you look at Charlotte Flair, who is easily the most accomplished woman's wrestler of all time, and she will be for the history of what's to come, I'm guessing like Charlotte doesn't have the kind of moments that Becky does. And that's really what I gravitate towards. Because if you look at like the lead up to survivor series, my wife and kids and I were at the lead up show to that, the show right before it in Minneapolis. And like, you know, it was just crazy that, you know, she, had inspired that groundswell during that time. And so I think it's hard to judge this particular example because it's not the same as it, like she's a heel. She's not like she's occupying a different role and I've come to love her work. I didn't start that way, but over the last, you know, six months or so, since she's really sort of come into the role, like I've come to appreciate how important the whole run has been since you know, she made the turn at SummerSlam and and came all the way back to where she is now, which is the top heel on the roster, which I never thought she'd be able to do because no one wanted to boo her. Like they, we still don't. So it's kind of crazy, but yeah, it's it was a, an amazing experience. It was one of my favorite matches. Nothing will top Bloody Becky though in that whole segment. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> nothing will 100%. top. That. I've seen it a hundred. Made her career. That, that's yeah, my her- pull it up on YouTube to get excited about something. Yeah. Adam, 100%. thank you so much for dro- dropping your knowledge. You can check him out on Instagram, WWE Gelman and SCU, SC Uncensored on Twitter. Check out his blog, Sports Card Uncensored. A lot of good content regarding the wrestling card market and other funny business that's happening in the hobby. Adam, thank you so much. And Brett, thank you, first of all, because you guys, I've seen your content a lot and you've done a tremendous job sort of chronicling the wrestling card industry for people that usually don't have access to it. And like, I think a lot of what you've done on this podcast has probably contributed to some of the things that have been successful in wrestling cards. So thank you, first of all, but also like 
I would encourage people to really sort of get involved and, and do the sorts of things that, that we're doing and creating content because it helps further that conversation. Like too much of this hobby is just the people that have the biggest collection have the biggest voices. And I think it would be awesome if more people like Brett had the opportunity to change that dialogue and change that conversation through content creation about actually adding to the hobby lexicon and dialogue rather than just, hey, here's my collection. I should be important as a result. So thank you. Appreciate the kind words. And we'll definitely have to continue this one uh, on another time. Take care, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Always enjoy chatting with collectors who create content and have a ton of passion. Adam Gelman is certainly one of those guys and falls into that bucket. Go check out his stuff. If you're interested in wrestling cards, follow him. He's got a lot to say. Got a lot to say. He's someone who I appreciate, and I learn a lot from his content. So make sure you go check him out. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More stacking slabs like always. We'll be back next week. Peace out. Take care. Take care.